Welcome to the Sports Garden Network Podcast, your source for sports entertainment, incredible sports wagering intelligence. Welcome, sports fans. This is Wagering Week. I'm Tom Barton, and that's right, we are Wagering Week. Facebook and Twitter is how you get in touch with the show. It's Sports Garden, G-A-R-T-E-N, hashtag S-G-N. We want to hear from you as well on the phone, 855, the number 4, G-A-R-T-E-N. iHeart, iTunes Radio, any of our fine syndicated affiliates. Hey, catch us there. How about SportsGarden.com? Go there as well. We are entering week two of the NFL. We do have big college football news. NHL is in the playoffs. NBA is in the playoffs. Major League Baseball is coming to the playoffs. I mean, this is craziness. It's absolutely nuts this time of year, but we're going to get into all of it in the next hour. All right, let's start it off right away and talk about the Big Ten. Looks like the Big Ten's coming back. Oh, lo and behold, would you look at that. I'm hearing a target date of potentially October 24th, so it's not that far off. And all I can say is I don't really care why it happened, how it happened, how they're going to spin it because it's all lies. The Big Ten's just going to lie and lie and lie. All I know is I feel good for the kids, and I can't wait to go out there and make some money on these games. <laughs> right? I mean, that's—I'm just happy it's back, man. I'm just happy it's back. So the Big Ten will be returning. It's looking like October 24th. The Pac-12, Clay Helton, uh, head coach of the USC Trojans, um, the USC wrote an open letter to California Governor Newsom requesting that— he stops the pandemic-related restrictions, so potentially the Pac-12 could have a season. Look, it's a bad look all around. The Big Ten looks like idiots, and the Pac-12 will look like idiots. But at the end of the day, do the right thing and let them have a season. The Big Ten closed it down saying, we had science. We are. We got this great science. To, we, we got science and, and science. I mean, that's the... Okay, what, what science? Yeah, because you didn't share it with the SEC, the Big Ten. Uh, I mean, the Big 12 or... Uh, the ACC. So what science is this? They, well, we have science. Okay. Now they've reversed course. So did your science change? Because that's what it's looking like. And this is where the Big Ten looks looks bad now. They have egg on their face. Okay. Well, the Pac-12 is in a bad spot because they can't just jump back in because then it just looks like they're following what the Big Ten does, right? They have to kind of make a stand. I'm hoping the Pac-12 comes back and everyone could just put their feelings aside Look like the idiot you are. Everyone will forget it in a couple months when everyone's enjoying uh, some football and just move on. From a betting perspective, though, let's have the conversation. What do you do with these teams? Well, from a betting perspective, guys, there's some layoff here. Watch the news and be real, real informed about when they're allowed to practice. Are they allowed to come back fully? What do the practice facilities look like? What does the practices look like? What is it like? Look, I'm in a position right now to almost say, just unequivocally, I'll be really shocked if any of the lines for the Big 12, uh, I'm sorry, for the Big 10 or the Pac-12 are right on target. I'd be very shocked. Very shocked because what's going to happen is that people are going to forget that these kids took off or they're not going to factor it into their handicapping. And you're going to see some struggles out of the gate. And even if there's not struggles, are they up to football conditioning form? It's going to be a short ramp up here, guys. We hear all the time, even the professionals, you you are in shape and then you're in football shape. So this is really, uh, it's a great thing, okay, but it's something that we can take advantage of as sports bettors. 
the good news is is that it does look like they're coming back and it's good for the sport it's good for the kids it's good for everything so that's something i wanted to touch on there how about the first week in college football before we get to the nfl i want to touch about the first week in college football because trevor lawrence wow did he look good we all know He's the best prospect since Andrew Luck. We all know how good Trevor Lawrence is. He should be the Heisman front runner in spades. By the way, I saw a, a number, you know, and he's minus 200 on the Heisman, and I think it's low. <laughs> right? I would jump all over that. I think it's low. He threw for 351 yards against Wake Forest. He also rushed for a touchdown, um, and then two more throwing, zero interceptions. I mean, the guy was just all everything. He was everywhere. And Trevor Lawrence is the best player in college football. Trevor Lawrence is the likely Heisman Trophy winner, and that's why Clemson's probably going to win the championship again this year because it's Trevor Lawrence, and he really looked good early on. Remember, that's not an easy statement because last year he didn't look good early on, early in the season. He had a, a, ga- a game or two there where you go, oh, uh, uh, okay, this might be bet. I mean, this kid's just getting better. It's scary for everybody else. How about we jump over now? Let's talk a little bit about the NBA and what happened so we can move forward with all this. And the NBA, what happened? Well, Kawhi Leonard didn't show up in the fourth quarter. And you hear the exhaling from me. I didn't lose money on this game. The line never adjusted the entire series. The Clippers were favored by eight or more points in every single game, including the clincher. The lines never adjusted. No one ever believed in Denver. No one ever gave them a chance. Nobody ever cared. And Denver moved on. The fact that Kawhi Leonard went over in the fourth quarter says all you need to know about this Clippers team. Now, I'm not patting myself on the back as much as I'm giving you guys a little insight here as to why we should be paying attention. When the playoffs began, I said to you guys, I think that they're the two most hurt teams when it comes to the layoff is going to be the Clippers and the Lakers. And my answer was, I'm going to stay away from them. And my reasoning was, well, because they haven't played together. Kawhi always takes time off, and there was injuries, and then LeBron was taking time. Well, it didn't hurt the Lakers, but it did hurt the Clippers. I think the continuity factor, the fact that they didn't play together as long together. Look, Denver's been like generally the same team for like three years now, right? Certainly for two. So they know each other. They know where they're going. They know the cuts. They know the movements. They know what's what's moving, what's go, what's working, what's not. They know all of that. The Clippers didn't. And you can tell me that the Clippers were overlooking Denver. I'm sure they were. But let's also not discount what the Nuggets just did. As an underdog, and we talked about this giant number, as an underdog, you could get plus 800 back on the line before the season began. During the series, they were plus 25 to 1 because nobody believed in the Denver Nuggets. No one. And you turn around and you look at the other side of this. Nobody believed in Miami and Milwaukee. Normally, when we sit back and we discuss most sports, my explanation of most sports is Cinderella stories are fun, but they don't pay tickets. And you need to understand that. Cinderella stories, you can take Cinderella out for the date, okay? 
I'm telling you now, you're paying for dinner, okay? That's why Cinderella's there with you. She's not forking over that dinner money. And that's reality in most sports, especially in the NBA. In the NBA, for years, the favorites have been Golden State. For years, the favorites have just come into there, and we know it. All right, the two biggest favorites, they're all going. There's no Cinderella stories in the NBA. It goes on to other sports also. I talk about the field of 64, and March Madness is the biggest crock that I've ever heard. Anyone can win! It's Cinderella season! That's cool. Let me know when the last time a seven seed a seven. I'm not even talking about 12. Let me know when a seven seed goes to the final four. Wake me up then. I'll be sleeping beauty if you want to continue with this trend. Wake me up then. How about the Super Bowl? Well, in the last seven years, one of the top three favorites on the Vegas line has won the Super Bowl. Last seven years. Major League Baseball, do we even have to get into it? Before the year began, did we really have to know? That the playoff teams were going to be Yankees and Dodgers. And, yeah, I, I mean, we, we know the playoff teams. So Cinderella stories are fun and they're exciting, but you can almost never win money on them. Hockey's the only one, by the way. Yeah, hockey, there's always Cinderella's problems. Cinderella likes ice. Um, so you turn around and you go, where could we have made money? You could have made money on Miami. You could have made money on Denver. Now, at the end of the day, if the Lakers are holding up the trophy, we go, well, that theory's right out the window. But you could make money along the way. And I think a lot of that has to do with the corona era and the corona problem that we do live in. I think we had to look at this season, and I told you to do it. And I'm going to say the same thing about Major League Baseball when we get into the playoffs. And I'm going to probably say the same thing about college basketball. I, there are going to be some weird things in these seasons because there is not the normal routine. Sports guys, right? They're just routine people. Coaches are routine people. So is it shocking to me to see Denver move on? No, it's not. And I'll tell you what, it wouldn't be shocking to me to see them go to another Game 7. I think Denver's a good team, and they've been a good team for a while, and they have matchup problems all over the place. Joker is a problem, right? Murray's a problem. They have matchup problems all over the place for an opposing team. And the Heat Celtics, I already said it before the series, I expected that one to go seven. So we are looking at a, a situation where we very potentially could have underdogs, upsets, and Cinderella's in the NBA. And I, I, I do, I kind of find it refreshing, probably because I didn't lose any money betting on the favorites, <laughs> right? But I do kind of find it refreshing. All right, I do want to touch on the NHL a little bit because the NHL is in a spot. Vegas goes home, Dallas moves on, and... The NHL did this thing right, right? I mean, nobody's gotten sick there. They brought them inside of a bubble, and, and the NHL has still been very exciting. The one trend that I do really, really see happening in the NHL is the unders are back. Early on in this playoff format, it was overs and a lot, a lot of reasoning, and I was trying to wrap my head around it. Well, why was it with the goalies tired with the teams playing too many close games, you know, back-to-back -back days and things like that. And, and I kind of thought, all right, well, once the players get deep into it, are we going to revert back? Man, have we reverted back. We have absolutely reverted. We've reverted back to where four is a number that's being uh, really considered out there. I mean, the, I know that the lines are sitting there at five, five and a half still, but fours are numbers that you're considering because of how low the scoring has been. And you look at 
what we're looking at for the Stanley Cup, I, I think we're going to see a lot more of that. So that's something to absolutely keep in mind. So we now have to go and we have to talk a little bit about Major League Baseball because we've been neglecting Major League Baseball. When football season comes around, us as betting community people, and that's what we are with the betting community, we just get our tunnel vision and focus set on Major League Baseball. Uh, uh, goodbye. It's all on football. Oh, wait. What is that thing? What is that thing you hold in your hand with a red stripe? Oh, oh, that's a ball. That's a baseball. Do you even forget it? No, because everyone doesn't care. They all go to football. When you look at the volume, it's football. Betting is football. I get it. That doesn't mean you can't make some money on baseball. And this is one of the things that I think you have to be that really savvy better to be able to keep your head in the game. Right now, the world is betting on football. They're betting on college football. They're betting on re regular NFL football. And now, oh, by the way, there's Stanley Cup playoffs. Oh, and now, by the way, there's NBA playoffs. There's so much to bet on. It's really easy to overlook the fact that Alec Mills threw a no-hitter for the Cubs. Right? It's really easy to forget about Major League Baseball. But there are a few teams and a few spots I want to make sure you guys are aware of. Because, and I've said this many times, and I'll say it again for those that are listening to me the first time, you could win just as much money as a Tuesday afternoon betting a Brewers-Cubs game as you can on the Super Bowl. It's just the marketing that makes you believe that you can't. So I want to throw out just a couple of teams to pay attention to. Is it too obvious to say that the Yankees? The Yankees were dead and buried, drop a 20 spot this week on Toronto, and their offense is coming back. Aaron Judge is coming back, and he is back in the lineup. Stanton coming back into the lineup. LeMahieu starting to hit. Now you have Frazier starting to hit. Garrett Cole has looked a lot better. So all of a sudden, this Yankee team went on a little streak, and it's the offensive streak. So maybe the lines never really adjusted for the Yankees as far as you would have liked, but the totals were coming down, and that's something you could still probably take some advantage of. How about the Orioles? It wasn't too long ago between the fact that, well, the Orioles were right nip, nip and tuck, right edge to edge on the heels of the New York Yankees. Well, they've fallen completely off the cliff. The Orioles are a fade, 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 fade team right now. You've got to stay very far away from that team. Same with the Tigers. The Tigers went through a little stretch where they were doing well. They're a fade team right now. And you're starting to see at the end of the year, a lot of new guys being brought up. A lot of guys getting chances. And you you know, look, you're out of the playoffs. Why would you not do that? You look at some of the teams that you're going to just be going out there and saying, all right, who's streaking the right direction? Well, how about that AL Central? Streaking in the right direction. Is there anyone hotter than the White Sox right now? And the White Sox are not getting massive lines unless Giolito is pitching. They're not getting massive lines. Even Dallas Keuchel is not bringing the kind of value that he should on the lines. Meanwhile, the Cleveland Indians are just in a bad way. Cleveland is just... I feel like they haven't won in a week. I mean, that's how it feels. Losing three to the Royals. They lost to the Twins. You know, Struggling with the Cubs. This is a team that really was looking good, and they are a very overpriced team because they have good starting pitching. And in Major League Baseball, that still matters. Starting pitching still matters. And they're getting 
good prices uh, because you could get you could go against Cleveland and just get plus money nearly every night, especially in that Kansas City uh, series. Man, anybody else clean up like I did? All right, let's go to the National League. Over in the National League, the Mets, uh, they got a little bit hot. They gave you a glimmer for about a minute, and they are a pure fade team. Unless DeGrom is pitching, stay far away from the New York Mets. Their offense carried them a little. Their offense has gone silent. Their defense has always been in question. Every starting pitcher outside of DeGrom is a mess, and their bullpen is just not very good. That is a fade team. But so is the Washington Nationals. Nationals are basically a last-place team, guys. And the Nationals are a team that, because of some of their starting pitching, they're still getting some favorable lines as well. And by the way, Trey Turner should be the MVP this year. And this guy is absolutely tearing it up. The problem is Washington's probably going to be a last-place team. Another team to absolutely jump on that we we know you just bet against and bet against, it's the Pirates. As bad as the Pirates are, they've gotten worse. I mean, the Pirates are gunning for the worst record in baseball right now. Um, I don't think that they've officially locked it up, okay? But they might as well have. I think they're about three games worse than everybody else with, with only, you know, 13 games to play, 12 games to play, something like that. So the Pirates are in a position to get the number one pick, and they look like it out there. They brought up Brian Hayes. That wasn't to give him a spark. That's to get him just some time. And right now, the Pirates are a bet against. You're going to have to pay a lofty number, but it doesn't matter. Just go against the Pirates. And the team that everyone's jumping on is the Padres. The thing I will say about the Padres, and the Padres are gunning for L.A. Oh, here they come. They're a good story. The underrated team. Machado's finally hitting. The Padres don't have an ace that I love. I like Chris Paddock. I do. But the Padres don't have that guy that I feel I could throw out there and not worry about it. And the Padres are getting so much hype and they're getting so much love from the media and the public that their lines are a little inflated. So that's a team I'm kind of being careful with because I see people going, oh, Padres are fun and Padres are this and Tatis is considered one of the best players in baseball. And That's all fine and good. That's wonderful for you. But I'm not laying minus 235 with a, a iffy starting pitcher, and that's what you're getting here. The Padres are one of those teams to watch out for. So I want to throw a little Major League Baseball on there because, like I said, if you were on Cleveland against Kansas City last week, you just crushed it, and you go, well, you know, I went 2-1 and one in the NFL. Well, that's great, but you're not getting plus money in the NFL unless you went out there and bet the Jaguars, which we will talk about. When we come back, we're going to take a quick time out, guys. Come on back. We're going to talk a lot of NFL. This is Wagering Week. I'm Tom Barton. We'll be back right after this. And now back to Wagering Week with Tom Barton. I'll bet you 20 bucks I can get you gambling before the end of the day. No way. I'll give you three to one odds. You're on. What are the odds? What are the odds? Oh, we're going to college football. Yeah, we got some ACC. We got some Big 12. Let's go to the ACC. North Carolina State opened as a two-and-a-half point favorite. It's remained at about two-and-a-half against Wake Forest. Total has jumped from 52 to 53. Georgia Tech, they're going to be about seven-and-a-half point underdog at home, Central Florida. Now, Georgia Tech with a nice upset win against Florida State last week, but Central Florida is supposed to be a little bit better than Florida State. Ooh, that hurts those Seminole fans, but it is true. North Carolina, huge favorite, 29 and a half points against UNC Charlotte in North Carolina. This 
opened up at 29, went up to 30. It's about 29 and a half, so a little bit of movement there. Duke-Boston College in the ACC battle there. Duke is at home as a six-point favorite. Total is 52. Miami-Louisville. Louisville, two-and-a-half-point favorite. Total is 64 over Miami of Florida. Pittsburgh, 21-and-a-half-point favorite over Syracuse. It's about a two-and-a-half-point line movement here from the opening number. So people are really all over Pittsburgh. Uh, total is 50 there as well. Keep moving down the list. And SMU, they have their sights on big things. They didn't look great in the opening week, but they got their win, and it's a 14-point spread on the road against North Texas. The total there is 69. Nice. All right, Notre Dame is the final here. Notre Dame, the final ACC team. Yeah, I said it. Notre Dame, 25-point favorites. The total is 49 at home against South Florida. South Florida is usually a pretty decent team at home uh, for Notre Dame. Two big 12 teams. I want to talk about uh, Oklahoma State, 23-point favorites over Tulsa. 66 is the total. And Baylor's 4.5-point favorites over Houston. And probably, the I guess, the most exciting game of the weekend. That is what are the odds. I didn't want to take a shot at you Florida State fans, but it was almost too easy. I watched that game with my wife. She's a Florida State alumni. She asked me to turn the TV off about five times. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's how bad things have gotten there. All right, let's get into a little pro football. Let's get into the NFL Week 2. Rams and Philly. Line is about to pick them. This is all about injuries, guys. The Rams are dealing with a team in Philadelphia that is just a mash unit. Philly was real beaten up, and they had lost a 17-point lead because they were beaten up. Three offensive linemen were out. Their starting running back was out. All their receivers are out. But Carson Wentz played a terrible game. Now, Miles Sanders is supposed to be back. That's supposed to help. You look at Boston Scott. He's banged up. He's supposed to play. That should help. What did Dallas Goddard do last week? He stepped it up. And Lane Johnson is supposed to be back. But right now, Philly is a volatile team. They had a problem with the front rush of Washington. Here comes Aaron Donald. What about Carolina and Tampa? Tom Brady is not finished. But he might have looked a little finished last week. This is the redemption week. Tom Brady's going to have to do it with banged-up receivers. Mike Evans was banged up last week, actually wound up playing, and then Godwin is in concussion protocol. So a lot of banged-up stuff. If there's anyone that's done, Gronk did not look good. I'll tell you what. This might, though, be a running game because Carolina was torched on the ground by Josh Jacobs. The one thing that you have to mention about Carolina here is Carolina was pretty good offensively on against the Raiders, but on the offensive line, a lot better than I think people thought. Denver, Pittsburgh, you want to talk about injuries. How about Pittsburgh? They're going to be down at least two offensive linemen, and Denver might be missing Cortland Sutton, who's banged up. You look at Philip Lindsay, he's out of the game. Von Miller was already banged up. A.J. Boye's banged up. This is mash against mash. I think Pittsburgh's the better team, and their big guys are still healthy, meaning that number one defense, and I've called them the best defense in the NFL before the year began, and they did nothing to stop me from believing they are the best team in the, the NFL defensively after Monday night. They completely shut down Saquon Barkley, and they're going to be able to do the same thing to Melvin Gordon. So do you believe that Drew Locke can come in here and throw on this defense? I don't. But you look at the injuries to Pittsburgh Steelers, and we just watched this happen to Philly, didn't we? We just watched Philly absolutely get beaten by a team that shouldn't have been in the game. 
because they're offensive line problems. Denver has a better offensive uh, defensive line than I think Washington does. Pittsburgh is probably a little bit healthier, but not much than Philly, and it seems like a correlation game. I like Pittsburgh to win this game because you have Big Ben. I like what I saw out of Benny Snell. I do think he's got the weapons in Johnson and Juju and Ebron. And I do think that this defense will carry them to a win. But I expect it to be ugly. I expect you to be a nail-biter. And seven points is, is just a lot of points. How about Atlanta-Dallas? Was there a worse performance than Atlanta's horrendous secondary? I'm not sure because this Atlanta team was just Bad all around. They were the worst secondary in the NFL last year, and things have not gotten better for the Atlanta Falcons. On the positive side, though, for Atlanta, they had three wide receivers catch nine balls in 100 yards, including with Jones and Ridley. Now you have Gage, who is fantastic. Matt Ryan threw threw for 450 yards, guys. 450 yards for Matt Ryan. He looked good. The offense was clicking. The offensive line looked good. But their defense was just absolutely brutalized by Russell Wilson. And it was the Let Russ Cook show. They weren't running it like the old Seattle teams. They went through the air because they knew they could do it. Well, here comes Dallas. And with all the talk about Dak Prescott and Dak Prescott's contract and Cooper and CeeDee Lamb and Gallup. And they have a lot of passing opportunities there. This is still Zeke's team, right? It's still a running game. Does Mike McCarthy allow... Dak Prescott to just go through the air the entire time. Because if he decides to, I think they're going to torch Atlanta again. Atlanta can't stop the pass. The problem is, it's a lot of these guys, especially when you have Zeke back there, you're going to be looking at this and saying, we still have to stay in our game plan. And their game plan is to run Ezekiel Elliott. I think Atlanta is a dangerous underdog here. Strictly for the idea that Atlanta can score on anybody. Oh, by the way, talking about injuries... Sean Lee, starting middle linebacker for Dallas, out. Van Der Esch, starting middle linebacker for Dallas, out. So Dallas has a hole in their defense. Atlanta has a massive hole in their defense. This is a number that is set at 53 on the total. That's 53 for a reason. How about San Francisco against the Jets? You look at San Francisco and you go, long flight, New time zone, early time zone. San Fran's missing all kinds of wide receivers. George Kittle is banged up. This is a team that just showed you they really miss DeForest Bruckner and what he did. They got beaten by the Cardinals in a game that they probably should have gotten beaten by more than what they were. San Francisco now, with all this against them, goes up against a Jets team, and they're laying seven on the road. I don't care who these teams are. Seven is a lot on the road with all the injuries and across country. But it's the Jets, guys. And the Jets looked lost out there. The Jets were as pathetic as a team that played last Sunday. And I can't see it getting much better. There's not a lot of things on the New York Jets to point to to say this can be corrected. Sam Darnold, no one wants to put the blame on him. Sam Darnold is dealing with a terrible cast and a horrendous head coach. I get it. He does make big-time mistakes, though. And Sam Darnold missed a lot of guys and made a lot of mistakes. The offensive line is horrible. He's got nobody to throw to. Outside Jamison Crowder, who, by the way, made the only touchdown that they had because he made it all by himself. Outside of Jamison Crowder, he's got nobody to throw to. Le'Veon Bell is now on injured reserve, so they're going to Frank Gore, Adams, and maybe me out of the locker room. Their defense lost C.J. Mosley, lost Jamal Adams, and they did not look very good. I mean, let's just be honest. 
Allen had the best game of his career throwing against them. Now comes Jimmy Garoppolo. Normally, this would be a spot I'd be jumping all over whoever was playing the Jets and just ride the Jets right into the ground who might be the number one overall pick. That's how bad the Jets are. But I'm looking at this and I'm saying, you know what? San Francisco, they're going to have to throw the ball downfield, and they just don't have the receivers to throw it. They're going to go into the strength of the Jets. I think seven's too much. San Fran, they're going to win the game. But I think seven's a little too much. Buffalo-Miami gets a little dicey for me. I think Miami is getting really disrespected for what they showed last week. I get it. They lost. They lost by 10 in a game they probably should have lost by more. They only scored 11 points. But let's look at the Miami Dolphins. Ryan Fitzpatrick drove them down the field time and time again on a decent New England defense. Time and time again down the field. He just made Fitzpatrick mistakes. When you are Ryan Fitzpatrick, you are either Ryan Fitzmagic or you are Ryan Fitz tragic, and we've seen both. Well, this was a Fitz tragic game. I think a lot of that had to do with Bill Belichick. It was a Fitz tragic game that threw two interceptions in the end zone. He overshot Gazeki twice on just real bad opportunities. And you look at this Miami defense and you go, they were run all over, man. All over. Their passing game, you know, Cam didn't really do anything through the air. So here comes Buffalo. The problem with this and why I was hoping for a bigger line here, I've been on Buffalo's bandwagon for two years. I think Buffalo's fantastic. I have a small play on Allen to win the MVP because I think that's how good this team can be. And the problem for Miami is they play a lot like New England, right? Allen runs it. They got Singletary and Moss. They're going to go with a dual back. They don't have to throw it. The problem is this, though is that we have seen Miami move the ball already on a good New England team. We've watched Miami and Fitzpatrick at home do shocking things. They have talent in Williams and Parker and Gazeki. They have the talent. So I think Buffalo is the almost the no-brainer here, but I'm going to wait to see. Buffalo took a big step up last year. These are the games, though, that will separate you from being an actual contender to being a team that is, all right, you know what, you're good on certain dates. You can't lose this game, but I want to see it first. Lines five and a half. How about Minnesota and Indianapolis? The total has me intrigued at 48, but the line is minus three in favor of Indy. Minneapolis's defense was horrendous. Minnesota is just, look, it's bad. It's a bad defense. They are playing two corners that are rookies. Danielle Hunter is out. He's the best First of all, he's the best player on their team by far. And even I know you Dalvin Cook guys are going to yell. He's the best player on their team. He's the best, second best defensive lineman in the game. And if you put Aaron Donald as the best player in the game, I have Hunter as one of the 10 best players in the league. And they're playing up against two rookie corners. That's defensively. Offensively, I think they'll have some success. Cook is very good. Madison is, a, is very good. And I think they have to kind of try to control the clock. The problem with that is that Indy's going to score. And Indy's going to score because Phillip Rivers, who, yes, he lost the game, and yes, he threw bad interceptions, threw for 363 yards last week. The Indianapolis Colts offensive line is the best in the game. And the Indianapolis Colts last week, albeit against the Jacksonville Jaguars, didn't have to punt. They didn't punt one time. Hines is a player. You lost Mack, and I think Taylor's a better player than he is. I like Hilton. So I like both of these offenses, and I don't love either one of these defenses. You look at Indy, and 
I don't want to say that they were absolutely humiliated because Minshew's been doing this to everybody, but they lost a game to Minshew where he threw. He, he, the guy missed one pass. He missed one pass. So I think Kirk Cousins has a, a good game. I think Thielen has a good game. This is one of those fantasy games where I start everybody. Detroit and Green Bay. What do I got starting everybody? How about this? Green Bay Packers marched up and down the field on this Minnesota team, but their offense was absolutely on point. Rodgers looked like he was there to prove something. Adams looked like he wants to say, I'm the best receiver in the league. The, the Green Bay offense was a will-oiled machine. They looked good. The Green Bay defense was atrocious. Absolutely horrible getting beat up and down the field by Minnesota all day long. Even when they had big leads, even when they know where they were in throwing positions, it didn't matter. They were able to do it. Not only were they able to go to Thielen for a touchdown, then Thielen for a two-point conversion, and it was just a field day late in that game for Minnesota when they knew they were going to have to throw it. Green Bay cannot stop the pass, but Green Bay's offense looks good, which leads me to Detroit. Detroit looked good for three quarters, and then Mitch Trubinsky exploited this defense. This is a defense I expected to be bad. They were bad last year, and they lost Darius Slay. Mitch Trubinsky led them back and absolutely torched them, and he did whatever he wanted to them in the fourth quarter of this game. He really did. He owned this team in the fourth quarter of this game. If Mitch Trubinsky could do that, the idea is, can Aaron Rodgers do that? And the answer is, yeah, probably. <laughs> okay, but... Kenny Galladay might play in this one. And even if he doesn't, Matthew Stafford, he throws it all the time. And he's got a good arm. And he's going to get downfield. I think this Green Bay defense is so bad that you have to look at that side of all of this as well. And then you have the stat. The stat of stats. 29, well, 26-3 and three in 29 games. 26-3. and three. That is Green Bay's straight-up record in Green Bay against the Detroit Lions. Guys, there are some numbers that just jump off the page, and that's one of them. Let's talk about that Chicago team. They open up as five-and-a-half-point favorites. Everyone's jumping on the Giants. It looks too good to be true. The Giants are coming off a short week, so that's against them. They are on the road. That's against them. Saquon Barkley looked bad for the first time in his career. That's against them. But Chicago, no one's buying in this Mitch Trubinsky thing. Look, you can look at the Trubinsky game, and that's what I'm calling it here, week one. You can look at the Trubinsky game in one of two lights. Either A, it was fluky, it was against uh, Detroit's bad defense, and Trubinsky's going to come flying back to earth. Or B, Trubinsky got the confidence that he needed to excel. I'm in the camp of B. I'm in the camp of B because Mitch Trubinsky has always had the talent. Don't tell me he hasn't because... Guys, everyone was going to take Trubinsky at number one overall, okay? that Everyone was taking him as the number one quarterback. That's who he was. He has a talent. He always just needed that confidence, and now he's got the confidence. Look, there is a little bit of a problem laying five and a half with me. I don't like laying the points of the Chicago team that plays close. I think New York Giants are going to play a lot better. Jones looked good. He looks like he's a, a guy that you could see the growth this year. But I think Chicago probably wins the game. For that reason, I'm going to stay away. We talked about Tennessee, and we talked about Jacksonville. The line is 8.5. Jacksonville surprised everybody but me. I told you about them here. I like Minshew. I like this Jags team. I, I like them a lot more when they had Fournette, but I like them still. Look, Robinson, he's... He's not the player that a lot of these guys are, but he's getting the bulk of the carries and he looked good. DJ Chark was barely utilized. Minshew kind of carried this team. How did they win? They won with smoke and mirrors. But you look at this Tennessee team, and how did Tennessee win? 
kind of with smoke and mirrors why they were even in the game, okay? Uh, Corey Davis is not going to torch teams for the rest of the year. Henry looked good, not great. Tannehill looked good, not great. They lost to Dory Jackson potentially for this game, which is a problem. This Tennessee team is one of those teams where you look at and you go, how much are they living off of last year? If they didn't go crazy in the playoffs, let's say they lost in the first round. Is this line more of like a six-point line? And then you ask yourself the Jacksonville question. If they didn't win last week in a miraculous way of winning, the line was going to be 11. That was the opening number. The line quickly fell all the way down to 8.5. Now it settled back into 8.5 or 9. How much did that win impact them? In a win, oh, by the way, where the defense could not force a punt. This is one of those games where I do think that Tennessee is going to feel like they're in trouble for some of the game. It's going to be a running game. The opportunity of Minshew to come back late in this game and maybe steal a win will be there. I'm not telling you that he's going to do it, but it certainly will be there. All right, let's go to one more game before we go to break. Arizona and Washington. Washington, I think, had the most impressive victory in most people's eyes. They were down 17 points and came back to win in a game they should not have won. Their front four was dynamic. Their rookie, Chase Young, was fantastic. But Arizona, to me, had the more complete win. That's why they're six-and-a-half-point favorites here at home. It is a long flight, but it's going the wrong way, so it doesn't matter. But Arizona, man, this is a team, guys, that you look at and you wonder if they're ready to take the next step. And we wondered that before the week one. We wondered if Murray was the next guy, the next great quarterback. That he Is he going to ascend into that? My worries about Arizona was they have a weak offensive line and their defense has holes. San Francisco just was not able to take advantage of those holes because of injuries. As far as their offensive line goes, I got no excuses for that, man. They looked good. San Francisco, you can't make any excuses. They look good, okay? San Francisco's defensive front, yeah, they're missing Buckner, but they certainly could get the pressure on. They didn't against Arizona. I wanted to jump on Washington here early on because I'm looking at Washington and I'm saying they're still not getting enough respect, and I still think that Arizona offensive line is a mess. But Murray can move, and if he's going to get pressure, he's going to be able to move. He's got a lot of outlets now. I know that Hopkins feels at home there. So, guys, I'm looking at this as really a prove-it week. We might be looking at week two and going, wow, we totally missed the boat on Washington or, wow, we totally missed the boat on Arizona, and this could springboard them into something pretty big. But that is future talk, and that is what is going to happen down the line. Now let's bet to the future. We're sending you back to the future. Okay, all right. Bet, bet to, to the future. The future. Bet to the future. Well, I have it in my hands, and that is the first odds to be selected with the number one overall pick of the 2020 NFL Draft. I mentioned that the Jets have the inside track. Jacksonville may have lost their opportunity, but let's talk about the odds. Trevor Lawrence, minus 300, and I think there's value there. Justin Fields, plus 300. Sewell, plus 400. King, plus 16 to 1. Micah Parsons, 25 to 1. Jamie Newen, 33 to 1, and so on. I'm only giving you a couple because it's going to be Lawrence. Justin Fields may have been able to catch up with him, and now they're coming back. The Big Ten's coming back October 24th. Maybe he's got some time. I just don't think he's going to have enough time. Lawrence looks like the guy that is bet to the future. Real quick, guys, you know, I did have a conversation about this, um, and I, I was talking 
about the betting to the future and what do we think about the number one overall pick? I mean, I think we all know it's Lawrence. That's great. But what team has a chance at him? What team needs him? Look, you could say everybody needs him, Tom. You're right. Everybody does kind of need him. But who's going to be able to go out there and get him? There are some teams right now that are sort of in a little flux position, right? Not the flux capacitor, just a flux position where do they have to start thinking about the future? So real quick, look, the Patriots are one of those teams. Cam Newton's there, but he's clearly not the guy that they're going to move forward with for the next three, four, five years. I mean, he's not the franchise guy. So the Patriots fall into that, but they're not going to be bad enough. They do have a lot of draft capital. We've all been hearing about what Bill wants to do there. I don't think that the Patriots are going to be able to get it done. I think it would be interesting and good for the sport if they did but I don't think they're going to be able to get it done. Bills, no. Jets, even if they have the number one pick, I think they stay with Darnold. Dolphins, they just grab Tua, right? Ravens, no. Bengals, no. Here are two teams, though, in the Steelers. I mean, Big Ben says he's going to play another couple of years, but the guy's always hurt. He's getting up in there in age. Do the Steelers go after Trevor Lawrence? Well, they're not going to be bad enough to get him. So you kind of throw that out there. The Browns might be. The Browns, would the Browns be willing to pull the trigger on Trevor Lawrence instead of Baker Mayfield, I think they would have to. If they have that bad of a season, he might be it. Jaguars, yeah, you know Jaguars are, even as good as Minshew is, they're going number one overall if they have the worst record. That's in doubt now. Titans, no, they're not doing it. Neither are Texans. The Colts are interesting, but they won't be bad enough. But look, they are 0-1. They lost to Jacksonville. Colts, that would be crazy. Think about Manning to Luck all of a sudden to... Dolores, that would be, oh, that would be crazy. All right, Chiefs, no. Chargers, no. Broncos and Raiders are both two teams where everything would have to go wrong for them to do it. I think the Raiders are wishing that they could have another quarterback, but they're fine with Carr. And the Broncos, yeah, you got to give Drew Locke a little little time to see what he's going to be. Washington or the football team. Washington is a team that Haskins, I think he's serviceable for right now, but they would move on. The Giants aren't, the Cowboys aren't, and the Eagles aren't. The Bears would love it. Bears would love to be number one overall. I don't think they're going to be bad enough to be there. Packers, no, unless they want somebody for Jordan Lowe. (laughs) Vikings, no. Lions, are they ready to move on from Matt Stafford? No, I don't think so. The Saints already have their backup. Panthers are the team to watch right here. Falcons, not quite yet. The Bucks. I mean, if Brady's a complete failure here, maybe, but you don't see that happening. Then you have Cardinals, Seahawks, Rams, and Niners in the division that is the most set at the quarterback position. So when I go back through this, look, and you take team need, and you also go out there and you take the potential records, you know, there might be a team need in Chicago. I just don't think that they're going to be bad enough to go up there and be able to get that. I think there might be a team need in Washington not sure they pulled the trigger on that. Carolina stands out in the NFC. In the AFC, like I said, Raiders and Broncos and Colts are all three teams. They're just going to be good enough to not be anywhere near the number one overall pick. The Browns are a little intriguing. A little intriguing. I just don't think that they're going to be bad enough to be the number one overall pick. The Bengals might be. I think that they're going to be better because I'm talking about a trading opportunity. So, really, to me, Carolina, Jacksonville, the Patriots, and the Jets are the best four stories, and let's talk about why. I think Carolina is probably going to be one of the worst teams in the league in a stacked division like that. 
And Carolina would absolutely take a quarterback. Jacksonville, as good as Minshew is, if they have the number one overall pick, that means he didn't have a good year. He would be the number one overall quarterback. So those two are the obviouses. Then you have Bill Belichick with all of those draft picks, all of the draft picks that he's acquired. He might be worth a look. And I mentioned the New York Jets only for intrigue's sake. And when I talk about intrigue's sake, Sam Donald's their guy. They like Sam Donald. But if the New York Jets are sitting at number one overall, do they throw the towel in on a guy in Sam Donald who they hitch their wagon to, but clearly he's not it right now? That'll be an intriguing thing. So I just wanted to give you a little little conversation to get going. I know everybody overreacts to week one, so it's a little conversation there. All right, let's continue to go through the games. Houston and Baltimore. Baltimore's a seven-point favorite on the road. Houston gets a little extra time to prepare for this. Houston didn't look absolutely terrible last Thursday, and I feel like everybody sort of thought that they looked terrible. They didn't look absolutely terrible. Baltimore is just a clearly better team. The problem with this game is that is Baltimore going to be able to look ahead and look in that spot to Kansas City who comes next Monday night? It's a dynamic game, guys. And it's a game where Lamar Jackson is looking at Patrick Mahomes and saying, I'm the MVP of the league, but I don't have your Super Bowl. You won the the Super Bowl MVP, which is more important. I'm the MVP of the league, but I don't have your recognition. I'm the MVP of the league, but I don't have your $500 million. And I have to beat you in prime time. So this is a huge game for Lamar Jackson and a potential look-ahead spot against Deshaun Watson and an offense that I was kind of impressed with. I think, look, DJ looked good. Fuller looked good. Then you go to Kansas City. Kansas City's eight and a half point favorite against the Chargers. The Chargers are one and eleven straight up the last twelve times they faced Kansas City. I mean, they just are owned. There is a unique matchup here, though, because the one thing that you could do to rattle Patrick Mahomes, if there's anything that you could do, is you rush him without blitzing, and they rush without blitzing. Nick Bosa and Ingram are two of the best in the business with rushing without blitzing, and then you also get into laying heavy number eight and a half. On the road, in L.A., new stadium, fast turf, and, oh, by the way, division opponent with the look ahead being Monday night. We heard how fast that turf is and how ridiculous it is. I think that just helps Kansas City here. It's impossible to think that Kansas City is going to lose, but, guys, 8.5 is still a large number. One thing I do want to talk about is there is a ridiculous amount of two-team teaser bets coming in on Baltimore and Kansas City. You take the six points, you make Baltimore minus one, Kansas City minus two and a half. I mean, it seems like a sure winner, doesn't it? But there are no sure winners in this thing. I want to have people pump the brakes on this. Although it seems too easy, it might be too easy. It's something I've looked at. It's something I've definitely explored. It's something I've stared at a couple of times and said, it just makes too much sense. But there is the look-ahead factor that I don't think most people are taking into account here. So I want to throw that out there. Also, in that Kansas City game, let's also uh, keep in, in mind here, Kansas City does struggle against running quarterbacks, and Tyrod Taylor, at points in his career, have been a running quarterback. I don't know if they take their straps completely off him and let him just completely go, but if they do, that could give Kansas City's defense some headaches. All right, the Sunday night game, Seattle, New England. Seattle, a four-point favorite against Bill Belichick. Bill Belichick is ridiculous. Ridiculous as an underdog, guys. He just doesn't lose as an underdog. The numbers are out of control. The New England Patriots in the last 20 years have only been underdogs in this spot 
11 times and they absolutely crushed it. They've only lost one time. So the the against the spread, that is. The Patriots don't lose as underdogs, but Seattle is tremendous at home. Seattle's home record is where they've made their mark, and Russell Wilson looked really good last week. Here's the philosopher uh, in me stepping up and saying, what do you do if you're coaching this? You know, if you're coaching, you got to really change what worked last week. For the New England Patriots, what worked last week and what I expect them to want to work the entire season is run the ball, run the ball with Cam, run the ball with Michelle, run the ball with Burkhead, run the ball with White. That's their recipe for success. And they did it absolutely beautifully last week against Miami. They ran the ball, ate the clock. It was the first game finished. It was a quick game. That's what they wanted to do. But Seattle's defense and Seattle's defensive secondary was just torched for 450 yards in the air with Matt Ryan. So, guys, does Bill Belichick switch this up and let Cam throw the ball with a clear advantage in the passing game? And then you go to Seattle. For years, Seattle has been... Got to run the ball, run the ball, run the ball. And everyone said, let Russ cook, right? That's what it was. Let Russ cook. Let's go. Hashtag. But they let him cook last week. And he had a lot of success through the air. Do they now go back down to the running game? Because, oh, by the way, the strength of New England's defense is the passing game. So I think we're going to watch two very different games. I think to win this game, New England has to throw the ball. And to win this game, I think Seattle has to run the ball. Two things that were vastly different than what we watched last week. Switching on a fly, switching from one week to week two. Bill Belichick's been doing it for years, but he's been doing it with different personnel. Pete Carroll, he's been adverse to doing this for a long time. Maybe he reverts back to the running game and he feels more confident. All right, let's go to Monday night. Let's go to Vegas, baby. And that's right. Las Vegas Raiders will host opening night in their brand new stadium against the New Orleans Saints. Saints are without Michael Thomas. The line sits here at five and a half. The total at 49, 49 and a half. The most concerning number that jumped off the page at me about the entire weekend was this. Teddy Bridgewater didn't get touched. Not one sack. The least amount of hurries, the least amount of rushing guys in his face, he didn't get touched, guys. That means Las Vegas Raiders put up 34 points on him. Oh, sure. Okay? But Teddy Bridgewater put up 30 on this defense. Max Crosby, who I had high hopes for, got a goose egg in the stats column. He didn't do anything in this game. This Raiders defense looked bad. And now you have Drew Brees coming in. Drew Brees with a lot of time to throw. Drew Brees with a lot of time to throw in a position where he's sitting there on Monday Night Football. We know how Drew Brees performs in the spotlight. That's a bad thing for this Raiders team. Now, on the flip side, the one thing that I really liked from the Tampa Bay side of things against New Orleans was Jones was running fine. He looked like he was gashing big holes and really absolutely owned them on the run game. And... You look at what they can do, and you, you go, okay, well, if Jones was owning New Orleans, we're just going to run the ball with Josh Jacobs, which is the smart thing to do anyway to keep Drew Brees on the bench. Well, I do think that Jacobs is a beast. I think Jacobs is one of the best, under more underrated guys, and one of the best running backs in the league. 
if the Vegas Raiders can just establish that running game and pound it away, this game could be closer than expected. But even without Michael Thomas, it's hard to go against New Orleans here, guys. Uh, he's going to have a big game to uh, Kamara, even if it's dumping the ball off. I expect Drew Brees to really look good in this game. And that is one of the interesting things because when this stadium was opening up, and in the corona era, it was opening up with a full capacity, right? It was going to open up with lots of fans, people going crazy. And I'm going, ah, you don't want to really go against that on opening night. Kind of like the Rams, right? It's new stadium, crazy fans. I don't want to go against that. Now? Oh, no fans? I don't feel so bad going with New Orleans. If Michael Thomas was in here, this would be my play of the week. It would be my play of the week. Um, but he's not going to be in here. Which leads me to one last thought here, guys. Be careful with trying to correlate the line with guys that are injured. We're a lot of fantasy players. We're a lot of us are daily fantasy players. A lot of us are paying attention to individual players, and we think they're going to have a bigger impact than they are. Michael Thomas, in general, in fantasy drafts, is a top five pick. The number one wide receiver by a large margin by everybody. You forget about the fantasy community in regular football, okay? He is the number one best receiver. He goes down, the line moves barely a half a point. Some spots it didn't move at all. Miles Sanders and Lance Johnson are announced that they both might play this week for the Eagles. Line doesn't move. Miles Sanders was announced out last week. Miles Sanders is a top 15 running back in the league, top 10 potentially. Uh, maybe the Eagles' best weapon once you consider the wide receivers are, are banged up. Miles Sanders goes out last week. The line doesn't move. Mike Evans was supposed to miss the game. Oh, Mike Evans is out. Oh, Mike Evans is in. Oh, he, well, he might play, might not play. Then eventually he's got, oh, okay. What? The line didn't move. These are big-time name guys. I mentioned Danielle Hunter. Big-time name guys. Big superstar talents. They go down. The line doesn't move. Line doesn't move when an offensive tackle goes down. Happened in Pittsburgh just now. Didn't move. Line doesn't go down when running backs go down. Miles Sanders is your example. The line barely moves with wide receivers. Mike Evans is an example. Michael Thomas is your example. Defensive guys, you could almost not get better than Hunter. Line didn't move. You look around the league and you start to see who are the names that will move the line. There's not many of them out there. Maybe Saquon Barkley moves it for a bad Giants team. Maybe Ezekiel Elliott might move it. Christian McCaffrey will move it for a bad Carolina team. But all in all, guys, skill position players will not move the line. The only thing that's going to move the line and move the public to move the line are quarterback injuries. So it's an insight that we can use as a betting community. Take your fantasy knowledge. Take your knowledge of the players, the impact of the players, how good the players are, and put it towards using it against the public. Forget about even against the sports books. They know the injury. It's already built into the line. The public's going to drive it one way or the other. So watch the line movements in occurrence with who's injured or not. All right, guys, everybody out there, have a good week, too, in the NFL. Hope everybody makes a lot of money. I'm Tom Bard for Wagering Week. We'll be back, and you can bet on that. This has been a presentation of the Sports Garden Network. To be part of the show, call 1-855-4-GARTEN. That's 1-855-442-7386. Connect with us on Facebook and Twitter at Sports Garden. That's G-A-R-T-E-N. Get all your credible sports intelligence 24 hours a day by visiting us at sportsgarden.com.